Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Mary Ann Wolfe. For about 200,000 homes with students across North Carolina, broadband access is limited or non-existent. Even when broadband is available, other barriers to adoption and usage prevent many of our households from being connected. During this pandemic, many students rely on walking to publicly available Wi-Fi or buses with internet access. Districts have been creative with hotspots, park and learns, and other solutions, but they are not long-term or ideal. Overall, this equity issue has been exacerbated during COVID-19 and is leaving some students unable to communicate with their teachers and classmates and struggling to complete school assignments and access digital learning resources as other students with access in their homes. We are also seeing additional divides related to devices and digital literacy. Today, we will discuss the short-term and long-term efforts being made with leaders from different sectors across our state and how we can accelerate the availability of robust, affordable broadband for all and how to effectively support students in engaging in learning opportunities once internet connection is possible. Joining us now are Caroline Sullivan, the Executive Director of the North Carolina Business Committee of Education, and Patrick Woody, President of the North Carolina Rural Center. Welcome. Good morning. So glad to be here. I'd love to start just by asking you to share. You are so working on this so deeply, but how would you describe some of the challenges that North Carolina is facing right now with broadband? And I wonder, Patrick, if you could start. Well, that is um, that is the question of the day. If you're um, if you care about rural North Carolina, uh, so first of all, we've never seen a disaster that's affected the state, and COVID nineteen is you know a a disaster, um, and we've never seen. We're very accustomed to hurricanes, you know, where they're they're short in duration and they're over, and then we deal with the aftermath. Um, this is not short in duration. It's still going on. We don't exactly know what the end looks like or what the other side of this looks like. What we do know and what um, COVID-19 has taught us um, is that connectivity during this pandemic is an absolute necessity for, for every individual and, and families all across this state. Um, we've worked uh, very hard and there's no higher issue in our minds than bringing last mile broadband to every rural community in this state and making sure we connect all of our families and all of our rural citizens. We know that there are significant gaps in that infrastructure. Uh, we, we know that uh, from a healthcare standpoint, from a education standpoint, and that's education at all levels, um, and from uh, a business standpoint, uh, connectivity is essential. It is paramount. It must be a given. Um, and there's no rural community in this state that, uh, where that is not true. Caroline, I wonder if you can share your perspective, but also just start to share with us some of the work that you're doing to address these, these needs. Thank you so much. So, um, as you mentioned, uh, I am the executive director of the North Carolina Business Committee for Education. We're the education nonprofit in the governor's office. And we focus on educator professional development and work-based learning. But when the pandemic hit, as Patrick said, it really did change everything. Um, the Department of Public Instruction did a survey and found that 190,000 of our students did not have access to broadband at home. 
to internet connectivity. And so NCBCE engaged through the bus Wi-Fi program, where we worked with GPI and the North Carolina Department of Information Technology to fund bus routers to put on the yellow buses. As in the spring, you know, the yellow buses were, were doing their bus routes to give um, meals out and, and we wanted to find a place for them to be able to connect to do their homework and their lessons. But our board voted to continue this work because we realized how important it was. And so we formed the Remote Learning Working Group with Hometown Strong, which is the governor's rural initiative. Because as Patrick said, these challenges are there for all of North Carolina citizens, this access to reliable, strong, fast internet at home. But in our rural communities, it's, it's much, much more challenging. Patrick is talking about the long-term solutions that need to be our goal. It's critically important that we get this connectivity to all of the homes, but the pandemic is happening now and remote learning is happening right now. And we've got to find ways to connect our students so they can learn. Patrick, I'd love for you to share some of the specific efforts as Caroline just referenced that you're also engaged in. Well, we very much, and I could not agree with Caroline more, there are, uh, there, there is long-term what has to happen in terms of the infrastructure, but there is short-term what has to happen immediately, right now, today, last week, last month. It can't happen quick enough or soon enough. We have got to stand up the best short-term solutions we can. And to the extent possible, we ought to have an eye toward the future and the long term as we stand up those short term solutions. If they can be part of, of better long term solutions, that's, that's a great thing. But regardless, short term solutions are really essential. This is a three pronged problem. It's, it is absolutely for many rural communities, it is about access. It is about the, the infrastructure that is needed for broadband actually being present and being in communities. Um, and don't get me wrong, we've got rural parts of North Carolina that are better served than some of the urban parts of our state. The problem is they're just few and far between and it's, it's, not, um, it's not widespread enough. Affordability is part of the problem because even if the infrastructure's there, if a family cannot afford the service, we've got to figure out how we deal with affordability. And third is adoption. So if, if the infrastructure exists, and yes, a family has the resources to, um, to, to afford it, uh, they also have to understand why it's so important to their family. And, and, and so that's where efforts are needed uh, around digital literacy. So this is uh, an all hands on deck, uh, multi-prong approach. Uh, we've got to address short-term and long-term solutions and we've got to deal with access, affordability, and adoption. And Caroline, I wonder if you can share a little bit more about what are the promising developments that we're seeing, and I know some of those are short-term, but again, as Patrick said, the more those can weave into long-term, we know that will help us be more effective as well. When it comes to connectivity, um, again, uh, you know, what we really need is, is consistent, fast, reliable, 
broadband to the home. But in the short term, we have to get students connected with a signal that can be strong enough and fast enough to participate in remote learning. We're not talking about just being able to get your email at home. We're talking about being able to run Zoom conferences and Canvas and these platforms that are gonna allow our students to be able to learn. So some of those short-term solutions involve things like hotspots. Now, the challenge with hotspots is also twofold. Number one, it's affordability. And number two, it is you have to live in a place where the signal is strong enough for that hotspot be able to be able to work, to be able to give you that internet speed that you need. So for our students that that can't, that don't live in places where they can have that signal, we have to look at other strategies. Again, none of them are ideal, but they're things like park and learns. Uh, a lot of our school parking lots opened up their signal at the beginning of the pandemic so students could drive up and download their lessons. It's strategies like a DSL in a box. It's uh, fixed Wi-Fi solutions. There are lots of tools that we have. But we've got to match these tools to the geography in the area. In our final minute, if you could each just share your advice for what needs to happen long-term. And Patrick, I'm gonna let you go first. Uh, in order to take advantage of all the funding sources, we have to have the capacity to be playing in the, in the um, in the game of how those funding sources work. So I applaud the governor of the General Assembly for adding dollars to the great program at a state level. But ultimately, our, our challenge is not, an, is not that there's not enough funding available. The funding's there, but rural communities are not set up to take best advantage of those funding sources that exist. Excellent. And Caroline, your final advice for us. The General Assembly and the governor and, and, and the federal government are going to have to look, as, as Patrick said, broadband is a long-term issue, but remote learning is also a long-term issue. So we need to be able to you know, engage these band-aids and short-term strategies for now, but also look at how can we make this an equitable solution for students going into the future as well. It's not just the homework gap anymore. This really is a gap in learning the, way, the new way we're going to be learning. Well, thank you both so much with all your expertise. And after the break, more about digital literacy and the digital learning equity gap. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. We are pleased to be joined by Carl Rectanus, the CEO and co-founder of Learn Platform, a research-driven technology company that helps school districts and states across the U.S. expand equitable outcomes and also by Rhonda Schuler, the superintendent of Franklin County Schools. Both have been teachers and administrators in North Carolina. Thank you so much for being here. We just heard about the challenges in ensuring that all of our students have access to broadband at home. But we know that once students have internet access, we also see differences in what they're doing each day. How would you describe how students are engaging with their learning? Rhonda? Sure. Um, first of all, when we started last spring with school closure under COVID-19, we had to shift gears very quickly. Um, and much of that work ended up being um, asynchronous learning for students. They had packets of, of work to do. We had Chromebooks at our middle and high schools, but we, there was inconsistency there. 
So we recognized almost immediately this, that this was not a short-term problem. It was something we would be dealing with long-term. As a result of that, we went ahead and ordered devices for every student so that we could begin the year with devices in the hands of each student. So we've approached learning very differently this fall. We have a schedule much like what we would have in a school setting. We have synchronous or direct instruction. We have asynchronous or um, independent instruction with some guided practice and, and support from the teacher. And that looks more familiar to, similar to what we did in the classroom setting historically. But we also have built in flexibility so that our families can access content after hours. Uh, we record lessons and, and uh, provide resources for families. And we also have small group instruction taking place as well. So there are some similarities to what we've done in the past and there are some differences. Wonderful. And Carl, how would you describe um, how students are engaging from your perspective? Uh, thanks, Marianne. Um, you know, Learn Platform works with school districts and states across the country, uh, over 4 million students. And as we look at uh, and work with districts and states in analyzing what's happening, uh, we are seeing big disparities, not only in how students engage, but in how many different tools and technologies they're engaging with. Before COVID, in the 2018-19 school year, school districts were using over 700 different ed tech tools every month. Um, prior to COVID, that continued to expand. Uh, last school year, before closures, it was up to 900. But after closures, it skyrocketed. Over 1,300 ed tech tools per month were being accessed across school districts every month. Um, that leads to huge questions around equity, student data privacy and safety, and ultimately, you know, costs uh, of the effectiveness, what's going to be best. But with all of those, we see this consistent and strong digital learning equity gap uh, expanding. It's certainly different in different districts, but across the board, that digital e learning equity gap is becoming a real challenge equity gap is the learning gap that we've seen grow when you consider the amount of engagement students are having with learning tools. Right now across the country, there's a lot of conversation about the digital divide. This is usually a discussion of access, right? The lack uh, of access to an internet capable device or broadband. But educators know that it's actually student engagement that drives learning. And so, as we've seen during the pandemic and after closures, access went down. But those who had access increased their engagement. That's a broader equity gap than just the access gap. And so, in districts like Franklin County and others, they're really addressing this digital learning equity gap by understanding how students are engaging, not just if they have access. That's really helpful. So Rhonda, what does that look like in your district and how are you addressing that? So it is a concern in Franklin County just as it is in every district across the state and nationally. So there are a couple of things that come to mind that I think are really important. Um, first of all is providing access. We do need to make sure our students have the access they, that they need both to devices and to internet. Devices was a little easier. Internet is certainly a bigger challenge. Uh, we are in some ways creating an artificial infrastructure within our county for internet access. Uh, another is 
is eliminating other barriers. When you talk about equity, it's not just about those tech tools. It's also about access to having basic needs met meal provision for families. We have provided from March until August over 500,000 meals in our community, which is significant. And we continue to do that in remote learning as well. We have connected students with desks. We have, fam uh, we have families that don't have good workspaces for children in the home. So we've uh, cleaned out our warehouses, connected with United Way and have desk drives for students. So we've provided over 800 desks to students. And then another thing, so providing for uh, devices, internet, meals, uh, a, a good workspace, but we also recognize that, and this is true for students in the classroom and in, in this digital divide, is customizing and differentiating based on family need. And that's probably the biggest part of this is connecting with families individually, talking to parents who say, I'm frustrated, this isn't working for me, and really spending time to really drill in, get to the root of the problem, and nine times out of 10, we're able to help and, and work through those problems, but it, it requires a lot of differentiation and individualized support and attention for our families. I wonder, Carl, if you can share a little bit more how you're seeing districts use data to improve student engagement. Absolutely. Franklin County Schools is one example of one of those districts that's beating the national trend. There was an equity gap prior to COVID closures. We know that, especially in North Carolina with the Leandro case, uh, as well as uh, other trends. But that digital learning equity gap more than doubled across the country. Uh, as you look at uh, the level of access, engagement, uh, but what Franklin County is doing is addressing these individual needs. We see that data being used in different ways in different districts, just like uh, Superintendent Schuler outlined in the practices that they are putting into place to understand you know, how to connect with and ensure student level engagement, how to support teachers uh, to uh, deliver on that. The second is around costs and purchasing. By having this data to make decisions to share and make it easy for uh, parents, guardians, families, teachers, students to all have a single place to connect to the tools and technology that they need to be successful has been uh, a real key area that most districts are taking a look at. Rhonda, I wonder in our final few seconds if you would share with us recommendations that you have for other school and district leaders who are seeking to close this digital learning equity gap. Sure, thank you. So equity is really about putting the pieces in place for students to be successful and establishing a standard that we wanna provide for every student in our care. Um, I think that it's uh, networking within the community, reaching out, looking to develop a support system to wrap around our students is important. I also think it's really important that we use this as an opportunity to recognize that there are some disparities within Franklin County and beyond Franklin County that need to be addressed uh, legislatively and fiscally uh, when we're talking about internet access and we're talking about uh, making sure that we have a strong pool of teacher candidates ready to enter the profession. Our teachers across the state have knocked it out of the park. They've been responsive and adaptable in the most challenging of circumstances. We want to keep them on board, we want to support them, and we also want to build on the profession. And that is so necessary every day, but especially in light of the situation that we're currently facing. 
Well, thank you both so much for being with us. And after this, the final word. wondering how we would have survived this pandemic 20 or 25 years ago when we did not even have reliable internet service and even if we did there wasn't much to access. Today many of us have been able to continue our work even if it may look a bit different, to be in touch with our family and friends far and near, and to continue to access goods and services like healthcare that we depend upon. It's also hard to imagine how we would have continued school in any capacity. However, despite the many possibilities and increases in opportunities in the past two decades, many among us, at least 200,000 homes with students in North Carolina alone, do not have reliable and affordable access to high-speed internet. In order for all students to have access to a sound basic education, we must take urgent steps to ensure that they can tap into a foundational element that will help them reach their potential and that is ensuring every household has access to broadband, especially now. The lack of access to a broadband connection, interestingly, cuts across many demographics, rural, suburban, and urban, and does not only align with socioeconomic indicators. Although in many cases, cost is the deciding factor between having access to education today or not. We understand that for some rural areas in particular, the return on investment may not fit the proposed ways of expanding broadband and internet availability that are typically used in other areas. We also know that the intent is to have access to meaningful learning opportunities, not just more screen time. Right now, the lack of high-speed internet access across our state is resulting in a significant expansion of the gap between those who have access to high-quality educational opportunities and those who do not and this will have dire consequences for our students, families, and our economy. We also need more accurate data about broadband in our homes, and we encourage you to take a minute to complete this survey led by the North Carolina Department of Information Technology by calling this number or going to this website. We must build upon current efforts to expand high-speed internet access and take immediate and long-term action so that broadband is treated as a utility one that everyone should be able to take advantage of, like electricity. We have made progress across our state and dedicated some new funding to help support the organizations trying to increase access. However, this will take local, state, and federal investments and a bipartisan commitment by our leaders to make this a reality. As you heard today, we also have to think beyond the time that broadband connection is widely available. Several questions quickly emerge. Do students have access to a device that they can use themselves during learning times, not simply a cell phone or a device shared with multiple people in the family? How do students use their technology and programs to engage meaningfully in learning opportunities? Do they connect with educators and their peers? Do they and their parents have the digital literacy skills to participate? We will need to use data to identify and address this digital learning equity gap which is emerging as another divide among our students in terms of learning opportunities and ultimately pathways towards post-secondary attainment. The digital learning equity gap not only presents a significant barrier today in the face of COVID-19, but it's also a critical issue that will persist well beyond this pandemic. It is important that students can access the internet for homework, for completing internship and college applications, for collaboration, and for creating and producing assets that are of interest and value to them. 
Our students should also be able to count on their parents having the ability to participate in lifelong learning opportunities, apply online for jobs, and otherwise be able to act as digitally enabled citizens. Imagine if we had to do everything expected of us, even for just one day, without the internet. I know I would not be able to be as effective or successful, nor would my children. This is why we must work toward broadband becoming a reliable and equitably accessible utility, not an optional luxury available only to the rich and geographically fortunate. And we must ensure we have programs in place so that once the physical infrastructure is in place, North Carolinians have access to the digital literacy skills from our children to our seniors they need to fully participate in today's educational opportunities and the overall economy. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.